Bloomberg Behind the Scenes is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Use an integrated investment account from Interactive Brokers to earn, borrow, spend, and invest globally from one account. Learn more at ibkr.com. And from the Interactive Brokers Market Lounge, I'm Carol Messer. And I'm Jason Kelly. Well, Steve Schwartzman, heard of him. He runs Blackstone. He's got a new book out. It's called What It Takes, Lessons in the Pursuit of Excellence. We got a chance to catch up with him. Here he is. So your book talks about these inflection points. And as you write, I mean, they started from when you were a kid and a teenager, right? That's right. Tell us a little bit about growing up outside Philadelphia. Yeah, well, I grew up till I was 13 in Philadelphia in in a neighborhood, you know, with broken bottles in the, uh, you know, in the, in the playground and- uh, Tough neighborhood. You know, it was It was a little tough and- my my closest friend uh, when I was there had his father uh, killed by the mafia, uh, and I went over to his house and he had a toolbox filled with hundred dollar bills in in the nineteen fifties as a ten year old kid. So that gives you some idea of the way I was raised. Right. And then we moved to the suburbs uh, when I was um, fourteen, and there were nothing but nice people. Right. Mm. And easy people, happy people. And I went, this is such a strange group. Mm. Um, You know, you don't have to be worried, uh, you know, for safety or any other reasons. And and so it was pretty easy for me uh, being in the suburbs. So I credit my mother uh, for getting me out of the old neighborhood. My dad actually didn't want to move because it was close to our store. And my mom, uh, you know, was the strong one. She made it happen, and my brothers and I are the beneficiaries right. of that. And that store plays such an important mm-hmm. role in, in your formation in, in a lot of ways, in part for you know what it did for your family, what you learned about entrepreneurship, what you learned about running a business, but also what you learned about your own ambition in, in a lot of ways. And, and it sounds like it was a bit of a disagreement in terms of you and your father in terms of what Schwartzman's curtains and linens could be. Well, you know, I, I, I was young, you know, like 14, 15. And, uh, you know, I had to go down to the store, at, you know, sort of the extended Christmas period, right when all the good football games were going on. <laughs> you know, junior fair. high school and high school. And I'm wondering, what, what am I doing? I'm president of the school and I'm not at any event because, right. you know, I'm, I'm down watching ladies, you know, try to pick out linen handkerchiefs. Uh, so, so the whole thing for me, uh, my grandfather and father worked there, owned it. Uh, I, I couldn't figure out what my place was because nobody ever taught you anything. And hmm. it, it, all I did was take boxes out and show them to, uh, uh, to women. And it wasn't high intellectual content uh, in this work. And, and, and so there were always a lot of people. It was a successful little business. And, and I thought, um, you know, because we always had people there, that we should just take the exact same thing and and plop it all over the United States. And that would have been Bed Bath & Beyond, Mm -hmm. which didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So this was like that, except it was just in Northeast Philadelphia. So it seemed totally logical to me. There were other stores that were national. And uh, so I said to my dad, Dad, why don't we, why don't we do what you know, sort of this company or that company did? Let's let's just open stores everywhere across the country. I thought it was a no brainer, uh, and my dad said, I, "I don't want to do that." I said, "Well, 
why don't we start by opening them all over Pennsylvania? And he said, I want to do that. Then I said, well, geez, there are probably six or seven locations in Philadelphia because it was a big city then. Right. It was like third biggest in the United States. I, I said, we could do six or seven units, see how it goes. He said, Steve, I, I don't want to do that. I said, Dad, this 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 is going to work. And he said, well, I don't care. He said, I said, why can't, why don't you care? He said, I'm happy. Mm. I, I have two cars. I have a house. I have enough money to send you and your brothers to college. I don't aspire for any more. I said, but dad, you, you work six to six and a half days a week. If, if you work just as hard and, and we have all these units, it, it's, it's going to be much better. He said, I don't want it to be much better. Mm. I like life. And he was always a happy man and incredibly smart, smarter than me. And so I found that pretty odd. Mm. Uh, but, but that's the nature of people. They, they don't always aspire uh, to, to what you aspire. Well, ask Jason, since I took this on my vacation, read it on a sailboat, which I loved. I felt like a connection with your mom. And... One of the things I came home and I'm like, go big. Like, I love that idea that if you're going to do something, it's the same effort doing something small versus something big. And I think it's just a really great, smart life lesson. Yeah, well. And you've applied it like throughout your life. Yeah, throughout my life. Because, you know, I, I always realized I, I, I had no backup, right? Mm -hmm. It's just me. I'm just a person. Mm. So if I want to do something, um, that means I can't be doing something else because to be successful at something, you have to give it like 120% effort because you're making change. And as I told you, most people don't care about change. Right. Uh, they write articles about it, but they really don't care. And, and, and so um, if you're doing one thing that's sort of a modest aspiration and something bigger comes along, you actually can't do it because you've got relationships, you've got people, you've got money tied up or resources of some type. And so you, you, you can't respond. So if you recognize you can only like beat your brains out hmm. for one terrific thing, it better be really great because there's nothing once you start, you will divert uh, from. Right. And, and so I've always believed in that. And you, you also, if something's terrific and it's big and it's beautifully con conceived and it's almost a guaranteed success, you can then recruit people right. to join you for that vision um, when, when there is someplace being successful because, because you're offering a, a, a superior vision to, to what they're doing. So it all fits for me. If you offered that same person some modest little opportunity, they wouldn't do it so you'd end up with a less capable person, mm. which would make success on any level harder. Right. I got to ask you one question that we've also been debating, which is this notion of you have made it very clear you hire tens. You know, that that's one of the things that you have talked about for a long time. How do you manage a bunch of tens, though? <laughs> it's it's very interesting. And it's the question of how do you manage financial institutions generally, where every person who works for you uh, wants to be at least a lieutenant colonel mm -hmm. uh, and and preferably a general, yeah, right. Where, where are your troops if everyone's a general? Uh, and 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 so you you have to understand that, 
And, and you have to start out by treating everyone as if they are lieutenant colonels. So, so, so what, what we've evolved, and it makes sense and it really works, is, is you have to treat everyone uh, who joins you from a 21 or 22-year-old person to, to the top of the firm. Uh, you treat everyone equally, and you empower people, and you don't treat people as if they're, quote, junior people mm-hmm. uh, or subordinated work units. They're, they're the same as our most senior people at the firm, they're just not as old. And and when you get older, you learn more things. But it's learning, it's not capability. Mm. So if you basically tell everybody that that we're all equally capable and you back that up by including them, you know, every week with the full knowledge of what's going on in, in their area um, and, and have everybody in the world hooked up so that you're transmitting culture and you let people move at a pretty high rate and, and you make it clear that that you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You ask the person, the class ahead of you, how to do something. We don't we don't care if, if you invent it. Right. We just care you learn it as fast as you can so you can progress. And and what we also do is is we're continually starting new products. And and people say, uh, why are you doing that? Well, one, because they're terrific, but two, it also provides a place for our talented people to, to go so, so, so that we don't have a glass ceiling. And if you tell everybody and, and mean it and can back it up that this is a complete meritocracy, we don't bid people against each other for promotion. It's just themselves because there's so much opportunity in finance, particularly in our alternative uh, asset areas, that we'll always find a place for for somebody who's for the best who's who are the best and and don't worry there's no internal politics i don't believe that i've told everybody when we started the firm is the benefit of coming from lehman that if you're a specialist in internal politics you will be fired hmm. you will also be let go for being incompetent and that's the two reasons and i don't want any politics Everybody stands on their own. Everybody can win. There, there's no zero-sum game here. And, and once people understand that and you hire terrific people, and I, I address all the first-year people every year uh, along with, uh, you know, sort of describing what, what the culture is and why everyone uh, can, can, yeah. can prosper for a career, uh, I, I also tell them about insider trading. And and and, mm-hmm. and and how I've just through the course of my life known uh, not every criminal on Wall Street, but most of them, <laughs> be, because they start out being credible. Yeah. And if you have a good instinct, you meet the person and you go, I don't think I don't think this this is for me. But our younger people can be mistaken, and you know I explain what this is like and how they they never can violate trust and and I describe what they have to do to protect it mm-hmm. uh, and I, I also tell them that if they ever do anything like that you know we, we will be worse than anybody going after them I think we're the only firm that's never had mm. uh, any issue uh, of that type so so transmitting values and cultures and making people excited because they should be right uh, is it's it's not so hard 
But you have to figure out how it works when you are surrounded by all of these uh, remarkable people, all smarter than me, okay? You know, these are like the magna summa people. And, you know, I wasn't even cum laude. Uh, so, so You've done okay. Yeah, I'm adaptive. <laughs> Steve <laughs> On Schwartzman. that note. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been the Bloomberg Behind the Scenes from the Interactive Brokers Market Lounge. Behind the Scenes brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Interactive Brokers constantly striving to innovate and create technology to automate your trading experience with their advanced trading tools. Learn how Interactive Brokers helps lower your cost to maximize your returns at IBKR.com. I'm Carol Masser. This is Bloomberg Behind the Scenes.